0: Welcome back to... Psicologia para la gente! We're snapping. We're snapping for our accomplishments. Second episode was good. Alright, today's episode is going to discuss parenting. Parents. We all have them. Some may have not been around, but we still got them. Some of us are now parents. Not me, not I, but... Some of y'all. I have one parent here with me today, my BFF Celeste.
1: Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share my journey with all of you. Angie and I have been friends for, gosh, almost 16 years. Needless to say, we've had a journey. And me becoming a parent have been one of them that we've been able to share together. And Mr. Noah Kai is also here. Hi! (laughs) Also, um, what's happening? Just the usual. Noah Kai is my six-year-old. He's hanging out in the background doing his thing and he may or may not, he may or may not be heard in the background of our recording today.
0: Let's get started. Let's do it. Parenting, I imagine, is a very hard job. It's gotta be. Although parenting is hard, there are a lot of people out there that make it look like a piece of cake. There's a lot of people out there that really know how to be the parent that their child needs. I want to start with a question because I feel like not enough people think about this. Why do people become parents? Specifically, those people that don't have any clue what being a parent is about. There's a lot of reasons. Um, one night stands, condom broke, rapes, skipped a pill, drunk. Those are all there. <laughs> People that actually sit down with their partner and they talk and discuss, you know, hey, let's have a child because of this, this, and that, and I want to teach this child this and help this child grow. What do you
1: think? Um, I think that becoming a parent can totally be a surprise, but if anything, it, sh- it should always be a choice and something that two individuals should definitely be aware of. Um, I would say that becoming a parent can be a way to, I guess, express your love for that, that person. I think that is a form of love in the physical form.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that point of view with us because I know I've never quite thought about creating a child for that reason. But it is a beautiful fucking reason. And it's now become one of my top three reasons for possibly creating a child.
1: Definitely. I mean, if I can compare my own story, Josh and I bringing Noah into this world wasn't necessarily planned. We didn't have a timeline for becoming parents. We were aware of what we were doing, and we were okay with that. But again, it wasn't like, oh, shoot, this is a plan, and this Mm -hmm. is going to happen soon. It was kind of like, all right, If it happens, it happens, and sure enough, it did.
0: A lot of people aren't even aware of the responsibility Mm -hmm. that it means to become a parent. They're aware, yes, someone may get pregnant during this process, Mm -hmm. but they don't actually think about what that means. Like, what does it mean to have a child? What are you responsible for? Yeah.
1: bigger picture Mm -hmm. no one will ever be fully prepared for Mm -hmm. but uh, again even the idea of it you have to prepare yourself for so if you're not even open to the idea it's not a good idea yes definitely
0: i don't think enough people actually sit down and have that discussion about what it means to be parents and what the role of a parent really is in a child's life That is a very important discussion to have. There's a lot of important discussions that we don't have just because, you know, it's not something that we grew up witnessing. Things just kind of happened. We kind of just roll with life. No one really sits down and discusses every little thing. But I think there should be so many more discussions about so many more subjects and milestones. It was up to me everything would be discussed. (laughs) Every parent has their certain style that they choose to parent in. But there are three main styles that are recognized in psychology at least. The first one is an authoritarian parent. These are the parents that love to be in control of everything and that extends to their children. They want to know where their children are at all times. They set very strict rules, which is just to keep order. Um, Usually these parents are not expressive. They're not warm and they're not affectionate. They're just, you know, I bring home the money and you do what I say if you want to live here.
1: Yikes. Very black and white.
0: Yeah, it is. My dad was actually very much an authoritarian parent like he loved to be in control he had super strict rules he
1: wasn't like a warm parent i feel like i remember some of that to a certain extent with us growing up and you know being teenagers and i mean i think if anything it was i knew that you had set rules in your household Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was
0: like super serious rules. Like, oh my gosh, if a boy called, it was like, who is this boy and what do they want? And it was very, I could literally only spend the night at one friend's house. And that
1: friend lived across the street from me. Do you feel like that affected the decisions you made a lot? Or were you maybe against Yeah, I think
0: sometimes, well, it's funny because they're saying that children who have these type of parents, they can grow up to be really compliant and submissive and have low Mm self-esteem, but that's not me. I kind of just understood that my dad was a psycho guy who, you know, that's just who he was, and I didn't take it personal. I guess, to a certain extent, I, I mean, yes, I did. I used to cry, like, oh, my dad's an asshole. Why doesn't he love me, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't view it as, it's my fault that okay. I'm being treated this way. Absolutely. I viewed it as, it's a he thing, yeah. and I'm just going to keep being me. Yeah. And yeah, there were certain things that I wouldn't do, because I knew my dad's going to flip out. I'm going to get in trouble. But there were also sometimes, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I get yelled at for anything, so I'm going to do it. Like, I'll just get yelled at. Yeah. Who cares?
1: It just depends on the mindset, you know? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I feel like when we started, you were, I know you were going through the different styles, and I completely cut you off. No, you're then... good.
0: <laughs> so that's one style. I'm sure a lot of you also <laughs> grew up with that style of parent. Um, The second cell is permissive, so these are the parents that are, like, the best friends. You know, we all wanted to go to this friend's house, the friends that had permissive parents, Mm -hmm. because they just give up control to the kids. There's very few rules or Mm -hmm. no rules at all, and even when there are rules, they're not enforced. Absolutely. The risk of being this type of parent is that children can become very aggressive and act out. Mm -hmm. But... You know, Celeste just said that was her type of parents. They
1: got lucky. I knew what, my boundaries. What was your experience like with permissive parents? I'm the oldest of three, and mm. there's all girls in my, my family. Um, I think that my parents, I would say more my dad, laid down the foundation in his expectations, and I think I just knew that very early on and... I will say I, I was able to get away with a lot because I had permissive parents. However, I still had the fear of, oh, shit, if they find out I'm doing everything I'm not supposed to do, that's my ass. Mm. So, again, I didn't have very many limitations or any strict rules or authority. However, I was aware of the consequences regardless of knowing that I had that freedom. I think I was just always <clears throat> afraid to get in trouble. And I think even now, I mean, like, as an adult, I'm, like, my employer. I I know what's expected of me. So I'm just going to make right. sure I meet those expectations. I
0: think that comes from, like, you just have a really strong sense of self. And you take pride in yourself as a person. And you understand, like, you know, if I, think I so. fuck up at the end of the day, it's, it's still me. me. It reflects mm-hmm. me. Either I'm going to do it right the
1: first time or I'll have to do them back.
0: The third style is a democratic parent. These are the parents we want to exist. They help children learn to be responsible for themselves and to think about the consequences of their behavior. They provide clear, responsible expectations and explanations for why they expect their children to behave in those ways. Explanations. That's really important for children. A lot of adults feel like, oh, they're just kids, they don't understand, just tell them what needs to be done, and that's that. Mm -hmm. No, kids do understand, and if you've ever spent time with a kid, kids always want to know why. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never been around a kid that doesn't ask why. Kids are just curious by nature. So when adults take time to explain why things are the way they are to them, that's something that they really value and they look up to that adult. One of my aunts, she was like this. Mm -hmm. So I think she's maybe the reason why I didn't make horrible decisions. You know, she was a balance. Even though this experience wasn't coming from my primary caretaker, Mm -hmm. it was coming from someone. I was experiencing it somewhere. So I was able to see, hey, this does exist somewhere. There are people who will communicate with you in this and way and yeah. understand and explain things to I think you. That's important. We were just talking earlier and I was like, "Hey, I think this is your <laughs> way of parenting." So,
1: what do you think? I one that's a compliment because I try my best to be all of these things that are listed under being a democratic democratic parent. Um I think that in a lot of situations On an everyday basis, I find myself having to collect myself in order to find the patience to further explain something that Noah isn't aware of. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm human. I catch myself kind of, please don't ask why, Noah. You know, trying to avoid having an explanation for absolutely everything we're doing throughout a regular average day. However, I do notice that he absorbs... Everything, every explanation, every scenario, anything that is happening, if he's not asking for an explanation, however, you know, he might word it, I can see in his eyes that he's making sense of a situation, Mm -hmm. and I, as a mom, I... I can be very protective about those things. I mean, we think about where we are in public and maybe having to explain someone else's actions. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be really difficult. You know, when you are in a public place and someone else is maybe parenting their child completely different than the way I parent mine. Yeah. And Noah, Noah will hone in on that situation. Why did that parent in the grocery store let their kid run down the aisle and like lose them or, you know, something crazy. And Noah was just like, why? And it's, again, having that explanation and, uh, gosh, and It's I get, like, how do you explain It It that? really is. It's like, even that right well, now. I'm not getting fun <laughs> and I'm just here shopping. Right. <laughs> it's just the little things. Um, yeah. To go back on the topic of a democratic parent, it's everything that I strive for. We're not perfect. There's no cookie cutter image of the perfect parent and I think that Again, it's a compliment that you look at me as a democratic parent, and that's the goal. That's my goal, is to, you know, create a, a good little understanding human in the world.
0: So those are the parenting styles. And those parenting styles usually will create a certain type of attachment between the parent and the child there's also um three main types of attachments attachment is an emotional bond Mm -hmm. and how parents or you know the primary caregiver whoever that is related to us is what creates our dominant attachment style as we grow up in relationships everything Parents do influences us. I think a lot of people just forget that. So the first one is a secure attachment and this is what we all want to strive for. Um, This is when an infant develops the trust with the mom or whoever the caregiver is. Um, You know developing a trust with mom helps them trust life and they believe that things will be predictable and reliable, they feel safe. People that develop secure attachments usually have high self-esteem and they feel like they belong in the world. Mm -hmm. You can also develop an anxious attachment. So this is when infants don't develop a sense of security. Sometimes the mom is there when you need her, sometimes she is absent. So life becomes really unpredictable for these kids, they, they don't know what's going to happen when they have a need, it may be met, it may not be met. And that can, you know, like the name says, anxious, it can lead to anxiety. The third one is avoidant attachment, and that's when the infant doesn't develop any emotional attachment with the caregiver. Um, They can become insensitive to the feelings of others and even their own feelings. They may be neglectful as adult caregivers themselves. These are the people that just, they're islands. You know, you can't get anything out of them. You can't get them to open up. They're not vulnerable at all. These assholes walking around, (laughs) (laughs) like not wanting to fuck with anyone. They're
1: They're contributing to this messy world. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, they are very interesting. I remember when I was learning about these first, I was like, oh, I'm definitely, like, securely attached. Mm -hmm. But then growing up, like, realizing, you know, as you go through different relationships, I was more, like, anxiously attached.
1: I can relate to both the secure attachment and also the anxious attachment. Yeah.
0: And, of course, everyone goes through stages where, you know, they're a little bit more of one style than the other like sometimes you can be securely attached and still have like anxious moments or you can be securely attached and still have moments where you just want to avoid people like you just want to be alone you know Mm -hmm. these are just your primary styles something to think about make sure you are creating secure attachments with your children those three are completely new to me yeah a lot of people don't know, like, any of this.
1: Angie's out here dropping <laughs> knowledge. It's important <laughs> knowledge. It is? No, very important. Yes. There's some of the things I wish I would have known prior to right. becoming a
0: parent. But,
1: I mean, hey. Right. Imagine,
0: like, if they actually... Yeah. Like, why don't they teach this in high school? They, or really they don't, don't want you. pregnancies. But right. people get pregnant anyways. Like, you might as well educate them. Mm-hmm. It's... Weird, weird. Obviously, a lot of the emotional issues people are dealing with nowadays come from generations and generations. Like It's just how things have been done, and it's a cycle that has been continuing. Um,
1: We also talked about, before starting, um, culture. Oh, yeah. And how those things, um, how a culture Mm -hmm. will greatly affect one's upbringing and Definitely. the state of mind yeah there
0: are some cultures that are very against like you know emotional expression and mm-hmm. it's so no let them cry like yeah. they'll get over it some cultures believe this some cultures believe that and I've heard adults with children say things that are just really ignorant you know like oh it's just a baby what do they know that's an excuse that a lot of adults use to just do inappropriate things mm-hmm. around their children. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a you know two-year-old baby. They may not know in the same sense that we know things, but like Celeste was saying, they're constantly intaking things. They're Absolutely. soaking things up. They're assessing. They're figuring out in their brain, observing, you know, what is this happening? Why is it happening? So even if... We don't say it. They're watching
1: us oh, for They're, sure. yeah. They are the body language, mm-hmm. the tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, their their first years are <clears throat> such an impact on their their lives. And I think again, most people write it off with the fact that, oh, they'll never know. yeah, they they don't understand. They can't make sense of this, but hell, yeah, they do. They Hell yeah, they do. There was
0: actually a study done on this. Um, You know, in some aspects, their early development is more important than their later development Mm -hmm. in the 1990s. That wasn't even that long ago. This was in Romania. They did a study on orphanages where they had, oh my gosh, it was a lot of children. I don't even know. The number but you can actually google that like romanian orphanage studies and it'll come up there's videos showing these kids in cages um it's really just messed up yes yeah, so i guess they had this ruler i'm not much of a history person <laughs> they have some evil ruler who you know he was pretty much Taking babies from the poor and like putting them in orphanages just and because? yeah, all types or... of stuff, but not actually to <clears throat> house them and
1: for their security. It was just... just
0: because I think he was, you know, he had like a savior complex type of thing, and oh, wow.
1: yeah, I don't know. I didn't
0: really get into that, but the, they did a lot of studies on these children. Some of the conditions these kids were found in, uh, the babies were mostly quiet. They weren't even mm. crying anymore because. It was like what's the point of crying? Babies cry to get their needs met. Mm -hmm. This place was so impacted with babies and just not enough nurses that they would cry and cry and nobody would attend to them. So they eventually they
1: became silent. It
0: just yeah, it was like there's no point of my voice and they just stopped. The older kids were in cages, they were naked, they were in their own urine. Disgusting. They had to get fed. By hand, because they never learned to feed themselves, like that wasn't something that anyone practiced with them. They,
1: they didn't even see a visual mm-hmm. of other adults, yeah, you know, feeding something as simple as feeding themselves. Yeah, it's insane,
0: some fucked up shit. But luckily, they overthrew that guy. The orphanages opened and the kids were set free. That's when they came and did these studies. By this point, they found that, you know, the older kids that were already in there, like, they were pretty much, there was no hope for them. They were so emotionally, physically damaged that, yeah, it was, it was sad. But they did find that the younger you were adopted, the higher chance you had of growing into a healthy adult. So that just goes to show how important the younger
1: ages ages are. Yeah, that development is so crucial. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so that was the Romanian Orphanage Study. Yikes. Apparently, there was a whole anti-affection movement in the early 1900s. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was even like psychologists would say that loving your kids caused more harm than good. They would say that the mother's role was just to feed, just the basic needs, no love, no affection. There were books written on this. People were, like, following these parenting styles. Yeah, it was, like, messed up stuff. And finally, this guy, Harlow, he decided to do an experiment. Because, you know, in his mind, he's like, that doesn't make sense. Like, kids need love and affection. What do you mean? So he did an experiment with monkeys. He took um, baby monkeys from their moms, which is also not very nice, but it was for science. Um, But yeah, he took these baby monkeys, and he created two different types of moms. He made one soft mom who was just made out of terry cloth, Mm -hmm. and he made a wire mom. She was made out of hard wires, you know, you... You touch her, she doesn't feel soothing, she doesn't feel comfortable, soft. And the one, the wire mom, would give the monkeys food. And the soft mom, she didn't give them anything, she was just soft, she was cuddly. If these theories that psychologists were saying were true, Then the monkey should have spent more time with the wire mom, right? The monkey wants food. That's all it cares about. It's going to be with the wire mom. Mm -hmm. Well, that was not the case. The monkeys did go to the wire mom just when they were going to eat. And then when they were done eating, they went and spent all their time with the soft mom. They needed that love, that cuddliness, that Mm -hmm. comfort. After that experiment, a lot of people started. They started loving Look, their babies. Yes, again. they started really thinking about this movement they were following and I think it opened a lot of eyes into how important love is. Yikes. I think parents tend to forget that, you know, kids are just they're new to the world. Like they're learning. We you know, I've I'm not a parent but I have a lot of experience around parents and I'm very observant and I'm always watching people So growing up, I did. I always observed how parents used to get mad when kids didn't understand something. Like, ah, you know, they just expect kids to know all these things. And then they also get mad when kids think they know everything. So it's like, okay, come on, which one is it? You want us to know things? You don't want us to know things? That's definitely something that I think you have to keep in your mind as a parent. You know, this is a new human. I have to guide it. I have to teach it. It doesn't know everything I know. It hasn't lived, experienced as much as I have. Also, for children, you know, I'm sure everyone listening has a parent. So for children, we tend to forget that our parents have lived. We're like, oh, they don't know anything. Like, (laughs) what do they know about us? Like, dude, they've lived a whole ass life. Mm, Like, they know. Yes, like they've experienced, they know, so I think those are things we do have to, you know, both of us work on keep in mind. We are all, first and foremost, human beings, and we are always growing. Our identity is developing until the day of our death. If you google Erickson's identity model or identity theory, you'll find a lot more information about this. So, yeah, it's hard, you know, we're developing, our parents are developing, everyone's identity is changing, it's hard to keep things at peace all the time, but it's definitely not impossible. Not at all. We all know that parents pass things down. To their children. Some of these things are physical. We can see them. Mm-hmm. Um, things like skin color, hair color, your eye color, your height. Those are all traits that are determined by the DNA that our parents pass down to us. And things like self-esteem and how social someone is oh my goodness, that's are so actually also genetic. Mm-hmm. And special talents, too. Like if your dad was all-star basketball player it's likely that you will also be an all-star basketball player there you go i want to talk more about things that we should be passing down to children by teaching them by educating them because i think those are things that we don't put enough thought into we you know like we were saying earlier people just kind of have these children and it's like oh wow there's a child here now and i just have to provide for this child and feed it and clothe it and keep it alive well that's what people usually think of absolutely you know some children need way more than that to feel alive
1: misconception for sure
0: there you go from a parent in the flesh there's a lot more to parenting parents should definitely guide and support can you think of anything celeste that we
1: should teach our kids i would say emotions the habits, I guess, and how you communicate your emotions is definitely something important to teach your child. I think that it is your emotion mm-hmm. and how you reflect on those those things and how your child sees you reflect on those things is a major thing. Um, like we said, early on, those f- crucial ages, those first couple of years where your child's a sponge and they are seeing how you react mm-hmm. to certain things in the moment. Noah was raised with obviously, Mm -hmm. mom and dad, but it was typically just the three of us, and so when Noah, when we were home visiting, we lived away his first couple of years, when we came home, if we were in, maybe at my parents' house, or at a friend's house, if there was a high volume and something that he just typically wasn't used to in our, you know, small, more quiet household, he was like, oh my god, like, it freaked him out, if he heard yelling His response to a high volume and a certain tone, he became very, I would say maybe even anxious Mm -hmm. was the word, and it was because he was reacting to those emotions, right? someone else's emotions, and it was, and a lot of times I would notice that my child was scared, Mm -hmm. because again, in our household, which... Everyone's household is completely Mm -hmm. different to each its own. It was more of a calmer, quieter place. And so with Noah having that, his first crucial, you know, Mm -hmm. upcoming years, when we would come back home, I mean, my dad's volume is ridiculous. He has every emotion coming (laughs) in his voice at all, like, levels. Not always is it out of anger, but it can be out of excitement. But the way that someone like my dad would show his emotion... It scared Noah. Yeah. And so, Noah was kind of like, oh, my God, I am not going to go give my papa a hug because he's, like, yelling (laughs) because he's so excited to see me. (laughs) But, that again, that's just an example of, again, the the home that you create, um, the space, and the element that you choose to raise your child in. Right. And you know, the way that you handle emotion. Not to say that Josh and I are not exciting fucking fun parents. I'm not going to discredit because I do believe we are all of those things. However, you guys are very fun. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Like, We're not some boring-ass parents. <laughs> right. The crickets are going.
0: <laughs> They're boring. No, I just think, you know, the. It, yeah, definitely that tone. He was, he had an experience. Absolutely. Like, a lot of commotion. It yes. was just, your little bubble you three and this you know huge home so everything it felt really quiet Mm -hmm. and intimate and for him to go from experiencing that that's a big change
1: but look at him now he's he's the chaos himself (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to you know more importantly and even now it's I feel like it's been a big thing in our lives now Mm -hmm. again Noah's six I think expressing yourself right so that was gonna be my next question
0: how did you go how did you guide him through those emotions that he was feeling like Uh, what did you do I think to make him feel safe
1: in that situation that he wasn't used I used the phrase use your words Mm -hmm. pretty often with Noah I mean I think like any kid mom's kind of just supposed to know what they're Mm -hmm. feeling and sometimes we very much so do but encouraging him to use his words and to talk about his feelings or his emotions is a major, major thing Mm -hmm. for us now with him, with him in, you know, childcare and kindergarten. Now I use that phrase, use your words so often. Mm -hmm. It's important to feel vocal Mm -hmm. as an adult. I am learning to communicate better myself and That's a habit Mm -hmm. that I am trying to instill in my son to communicate. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all we need to do in order to have an understanding of not only what you're feeling internally, but what everybody else is feeling is communication. Yes. Communication goes so, so
0: far. That's definitely a big part of emotions, you know, just learning how to communicate Mm -hmm. those emotions. I think a lot of us weren't taught. A lot of us grew up in these households with these cultures like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm where certain things weren't acceptable to express, you know, I'm Mexican, we come from this culture where boys are not supposed to be sad, are not mm-hmm. supposed to cry, right, they're, you know, it's machismo, they're supposed to be these tough men, mm-hmm. and, you know, that gets instilled in these kids, and what do we have, a bunch of men that... Harboring those feelings, babies like yeah. they don't know how to take care of themselves, so they can't be without a woman, because that's what a woman is to them—someone that takes care of them, takes care
1: of everything.
0: So, um, yeah, definitely teaching kids about their emotions yeah. and you know what emotions mean and how to express them.
1: I will say, very it's, important. As much as I talk it out, mm-hmm. communication it's okay to also feel all those other emotions. Oh, yeah. That's where I struggle as a parent is allowing my child to be angry, allowing them to be sad. And also, like, you know, we want to protect them and save them from absolutely Mm -hmm. everything. Totally okay. But you have to let them feel those things as well. And then they have to be able to feel those things and communicate what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Communicate that you're angry. Mm -hmm. Communicate that you don't like what maybe someone's doing to you or yes. you know all of those other things it's yeah. it's that fine line with you know mm-hmm. you you want to protect them but they have to feel those things in order right. to understand their emotions right. and also to understand why communication is so important. Yeah.
0: Yes. I agree. A lot of times the emotions they're being expressed but they're being expressed in these negative ways right. that Pisses parents off. You know, it's like, oh, you're acting out again. You're this again. You're that. Why is your child Mm -hmm. doing all those things? Because there are emotions in there that they don't know any other way to express them. And that's how they're coming out in these physical, angry, violent behaviors. So definitely teach your children how to use their words. That can go a long way, which brings us into the next thing we should teach people, you know, communication, not just how to communicate your emotions, but how to communicate in general. As you start to grow older and you're trying to, you know, build your own relationships with people, you really notice how many people... Don't know how to communicate at Mm -hmm. all. Like, I, it's so crazy to think because it's like we talk to people every day, but are we really communicating? Mm -hmm. No, there's a difference between talking and communicating. Talk is noise. Yeah. Talk is noise where communication is, you know, it's with an intent. It is, you know, with a purpose. It's, you have to, you go into communicating with an intent to understand. Absolutely. You know, what the other person is saying and what needs to be done. Keep that relationship going, essentially, is what the point of communication is. But it even goes as deep as the words that we use to express things. There's actually been a lot of studies done on the vocabulary that kids of minorities have versus white kids, and... I mean, it's no surprise, white kids have a ridiculously (laughs) higher vocabulary than children of color. Yeah. And why is that? Because these white parents are educated. They've read all these books, they've heard all these fancy words since they were kids, and they're using those words to communicate Mm -hmm. with their children, versus, you know, what do children of color hear? Oh, fuck, shit, like, you know, just basic vocab. And not to discredit anyone's language, anyone's choice of words, I'm a firm believer that you can communicate so many things regardless of a limited vocabulary. But that doesn't negate the world that we live in and what it comes down to is that us continuing to use low-level ignorant language because that's the reality of what our language is viewed as to the upper class is sadly putting our children at a disadvantage and I just think it's time that we do better and we make sure that our children have the same options as these wealthy kids who are born with so many privileges and advantages. So Celeste, can you think of any instance where Noah has used the word to describe something and you're like, oh, why don't we use this
1: better, more descriptive word? Yeah, I mean, I feel like both cool and crazy are two words that we commonly use to express ourselves or express a situation. And so instead of saying, hey, this is so cool, saying something like, hey, that's spectacular. And instead of saying, oh, my God, this is freaking crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, this is outrageous. Right. Using those other terms because I think the communication comes from the parent. Mm -hmm. The way that you speak, your child is going to mimic your words, your habits, all of those things. Definitely. And I've noticed
0: now, too, in just a lot of, you know, my adult relationships, a lot of times when people are using certain words like, hey, that's cool or you know, oh, that's crazy, they don't actually mean that's cool, that's crazy. They're trying to describe something else, (gasps) but they don't have the vocabulary for it. And, you know, that can be something that happens a lot less if children are taught all these vocabulary
1: words from the get-go. And we have to be the change because Mm -hmm. the verbiage that my parents use is not the verbiage I use with my child when it comes from... Discipline, expression, Mm -hmm. whether it be good expression or negative expression, completely different. Yeah. Even Josh and I are different. Oh, I bet. In the way that we choose to speak to Noah. (laughs)
0: Also, just piggybacking off of that, making sure the language you are using with your children is informative. You know, earlier we were talking about a lot of people just talk to talk. It's just noise. Mm-hmm. Making sure that the communication you're using is informing something. And this also ties into, you know, the fact that kids can understand things. They aren't just dumb little humans that don't know anything. They are always learning and They actually want to learn. They're curious about the world. So we should take advantage of this. A battle that I hear parents have with their children a lot is, you know, they don't want to eat this. They don't want to eat that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, have you tried communicating with your kid in a different way about why they should eat this food? And a lot of times, no, you haven't. For example, your kid doesn't want to eat apples. If you just tell your kid apples are good for you. It's not good enough. (laughs) It's like your kid's like, okay, they're good for me, but so what? Like, you tell me everything Mm -hmm. you want me to do is good for me. Versus if you say, hey, you know, apples and other red foods, they make your heart strong. Yeah. Then a kid's like, oh, my heart. Like, yeah, I want my heart to be strong. And then that can even lead into a conversation about what the heart and other organs do for your body so that kids can start appreciating their bodies and seeing them for their bigger purpose it's every mm-hmm. food group has nutrients that benefit a certain part of your body mm-hmm. so you know this is a way this is where parents it's work to be a parent you would sit down and you know think oh my gosh how can I communicate this in a way that my child will understand your child understands colors yeah. your child understands body parts communicate in that way with your children Mm -hmm. say hey you know red foods are good for strong heart orange foods help you see in the dark Uh, green foods help you not get sick remember you were sick last year and you didn't like that finding ways to explain things to them with the knowledge that they do have and knowledge that you can expand Mm -hmm. on is the goal when informing children about things now is there something you do
1: with noah that you explain it like this in this way i feel like art is something that we recently had a a serious conversation about Mm -hmm. um i was a makeup artist before Mm -hmm. the career i have now and from noah was little he knows that mom sits at her vanity and does makeup and one day he asked me why do you like to put on makeup mom Mm -hmm. and I mean, as funny as it was, I actually had to sit back and I was like, hey, like, one thing that Noah and I share is a love of art. Mm-hmm. He comes home with paintings and drawings and all of these things, so I took that route to explain why mommy loves makeup. Nice. Mommy loves makeup because it's a form of art. Mm-hmm. Mommy likes to get creative. Just like when you are at school or you are at the childcare, you get a crayons and a paper and you express and you bring whatever it is that you're imagining Onto your paper, and, you know, you make something beautiful. Yeah. Mommy sits at her vanity. Mommy gets inspired by a color or something I may be seeing, and Mommy draws on her face. Mommy expresses herself in that way, the way you express yourself on paper. What did you know. say when you... You could tell he was in deep thought after, like... <laughs> He's like, oh. Okay, so you There's color so your face. so much more to me. Yeah, and it was just one of those things, right? And, and But that's how I felt like I could get him to understand right. yeah. my love for art and mm-hmm. again that's yeah my expression
0: right I think that's a very cool way to explain that because you know anyone else would have easily just been like ah none of your business I wear makeup <laughs> because I wear makeup and right da, 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 this is what? just
1: who I am and then you know what I know this completely would bring us into another topic but going back to the makeup part yeah makeup is an expression it's not a gender Mm -hmm. and so again a whole nother topic but that's also something that i am a firm believer in is allowing noah to be whoever noah wants to be
0: nice i love that that is exactly how it should be another thing is being conscious of the words that you do choose when you're explaining things or when you're requesting something Um, A lot of parents use really negative words and terminology without even realizing that, you know, they're coming off as negative or that it's having this totally other effect on their children. Me growing up, stop being bossy was something that I heard Mm -hmm. very often. That's a really dangerous one because um, a lot of times that can translate to a child as I'm not allowed to be a leader. Yeah. And that's very silencing because usually these children that are bossy, you know, it's just in them already. Mm -hmm. They're independent beings Mm -hmm. and they know what they want and they know how they want it. And they're not being bossy. They're just expressing their needs. They know exactly what they need and they're expressing it. And that's making you uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. which is why you're coming in. Hey, stop being bossy. Oh, yeah. So you telling a child that naturally already has those things, it's like, oh, wow, am I not allowed to be this person? Just really thinking about what it is we Let are communicating. Let that sink in because that is crazy.
1: <clears throat> I mean, this
0: is like... Right. The, another one, to you stop being needy? Yeah. Oh, you're so needy. What does that really communicate? Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to ask for comfort. Yikes. Yeah. Is that what we want to be communicating, I don't think so. And, you know, we say all the time, like, oh, it's just a word. Words are no big deal. Oh,
1: words are so but, big.
0: yeah, they are, especially they to children who are perceiving things constantly. They definitely
1: perceive what you're trying to express yeah. with these words. I think that's when you need to become just more mindful as a parent.
0: Yes, and we already mentioned this a few times, I think, with some examples, but just trying to communicate things in a different way to children. A lot of times, as parents... You hear them, well, I don't know, my kid doesn't really talk to me. I don't really know much about them. And it's like, oh, well, have you tried to get to know them? And they're like, yeah, you know, they get home from school. I I ask them how their day was, and it's like, oh, great, how did that go? Usually that doesn't go anywhere. I remember, I used to hate that question, how was school? Like, fine, then you just go to your room. Yeah. What what else do you say to that? Like, how was school? It's such a vague question. You're not going to... Just be able to blurt out exactly how your day went. And you know, parents will do that. Like they'll ask a question and get no response and just be like, oh well, yeah, I tried. Like, and yeah. it just never crosses our mind, like, hey,
1: maybe I can ask this in a different way. I'm like, hmm, um, I asked Noah yesterday <laughs> how was school? Did he <laughs> I did. I mean, See, mind well, you, yesterday was Valentine's Day, so yesterday was a little bit different than, uh, and, you know, yeah. every other day because yeah. there's a little bit more exciting things right. happening. But right,
0: And I think you and Noah, too, you guys already have that open communication
1: I established. So, so I, he's I
0: mean, like more so. willing to just, like, share things with you, you know? Absolutely. A lot of the times, too, why you're not getting a response is because children actually don't respond well to questions Mm -hmm. like prior to whatever we've been told or what we believe they don't questions make them really anxious Q&A that's comfort level for adults it's our go-to we're used to communicating in that way but for children when you're just coming at them with a question it's very confrontational I don't know it stresses them out man they communicate better with statements that show that you're interested and you're paying attention to Mm -hmm. them so just an example instead of asking them hey how was school you can say something like oh you look like you've had a long day your child might you know yeah i have had a long day this and this happened or maybe that still doesn't work and you can say you look happy today you must have had a good day at school and i think that's something you know, i'm going to
1: practice more. they'll tell
0: you like oh yeah this some um, this good thing happened um another one too instead of you know saying hey how'd you do on your math test that's another question I hated I'd always be like I don't <laughs> know I just took it like I don't have to I'm hoping I yeah have. instead of saying that if a parent said something like hey I was thinking about you during your math test today how does that make you feel right like so yeah. much different than how was your math, how was your math test? test you're like oh wow you were thinking about me and then you're like kinda mm-hmm. feel compelled to talk to them about the math test. Try talking to your kids in different ways. If one way doesn't work, try another way. Another good tip for that is that kids process things by playing. So if you ever want any insight into the life of a kid, just start playing with them. Let them lead I think that play. is so big. Yeah. Sit down with their toys and just let them be in control. You just kind of follow along. They
1: will tell you so much about their own little
0: world through play.
1: I don't think I understood that mm-hmm. until we Josh and I decided to put Noah in that in his play based mm-hmm. daycare, and Sarah is teaching. Sarah, shout out to Sarah. Sarah is Noah's childcare provider. Yes, is um, awesome. Yeah, she's so amazing at allowing. Mm-hmm the children to just express themselves with play and I, after having him enrolled at three, it, it changed my outlook so much on the things he was learning through play, the things that he was, um, just the way that Sarah was able to, um, kind of pick apart his growth and vocabulary and his relationships and just everything that she was able to examine through play. I was just you know, mm-hmm. lost for words yeah. at. Even now, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, play is a very
0: big part of being a child, and it's really how they learn. They learn a lot through playing. Um, it's definitely something that <clears throat> gets downplayed a lot. But, no, it's very important. Play is a must yeah. for children. Get out and play. Another part of communication is how to have hard conversations, right? Um, Conflict, it's inevitable. Everyone's going to have conflict at one point during their lives with all types of different people. Yeah. But the difference between it driving us apart or bringing us closer is how we show up for these tough talks, you know? It's how we talk through these difficult conversations. Um, and this is definitely something that was not taught or modeled oh, yes. where I grew up. Oh, Conflict same. was mm-hmm. cussing and screaming Absolutely. and crying or and, yeah, just silent treatments. Yeah. It was nothing healthy. Um, these were things that I just had to kind of go and, you know, read up on my own. Like, I just felt like there had to be a better way to it's communicate with yourself. people. The first tip to having a successful difficult conversation is using I statements. If you've ever been to therapy, you probably know about I statements. Basically, an I statement just means that you're speaking from first person. You are speaking from your own personal experience. You're not saying, you're making me feel. Yeah. You're saying, I feel. Taking the ownership of how you're feeling. Taking ownership, accountability.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: you're not saying, you're not doing this. You're saying, I need this. This. That's crucial because I feel like I...
1: I've struggled
0: with that as an adult. Oh, yeah. I, too. I catch myself all the time saying, you know, well, you made me feel this. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. pause. I feel that. That person didn't make me feel that. Because, you know, your feelings are personal. They're yours. So besides using I statements, leaving your judgment behind Mm -hmm. and practicing
1: compassion. Ooh, compassion. Yes,
0: that's a hard one. You know, a lot of times when we're listening to others, we are just listening to react, Mm -hmm. to have an answer. We're not actually listening to understand, and that causes a lot of problems within itself. So actually listen to someone. You know, if you care about this person and you want to have a healthy relationship with them, listen to what they're saying, what they're expressing, what they need. Put yourself in their shoes. Exactly. You know, don't say something like, I don't understand why you can't just do this. Instead, say, can you help me understand why, you know, you are doing this? That is way different than coming at someone defensively and aggressively. Another tip for having hard conversations is reflecting back on what you hear. A lot of times when someone is saying something, we hear it as something else, right? Absolutely. What you want to hear. Yes. We are projecting things, um, we have our own reflections, and we sometimes take things not as how the person is trying to express them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, reflecting back this, if you know, if you're aware that this is something you do often, um, telling the person, saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing Am I hearing this correctly? Is this, what, you is this meant? what you're trying
1: to say? If not, you know, let me know right now. I think that's a big part of miscommunication mm-hmm. is making sure that the way it was intended for you to mm-hmm. hear it was, you know, it was given to you that way. Yeah. So many problems can be
0: fixed, but right? because or a lot avoided, of times, yeah. there's been times, ta- there's a lot of times when, you know, someone says something to me and I'm like, oh, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so you're really saying this. Oh my God, that's the worst And then part. I just, you know, the conversation keeps going, yes. but I already have that Mentally, thought in my mind. Already, when you're texting
1: someone, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's the worst. Yes. Because. That does happen a lot through text. If you're putting like you a, look a look couple explanation tone, marks. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, something as simple as like, did you put one explanation mark or did you put three? Like, does that mean so you're you not that excited? Why? Yes. your level of excitement is, is different depending on how that is interpreted and a lot of people are
0: afraid to ask you know because i think a lot of people feel there's this pressure that society puts that we're just supposed to know yes things yeah but it's like time. no we're not like we don't read minds ask it doesn't
1: matter how well you know communicate
0: someone. like don't be afraid to ask no yeah no matter how long you've known someone Another tip is acknowledge the other person. When you're having a difficult conversation, it can be very emotional. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're saying not very nice things, and that can be stressful. You know, you sometimes are wondering during these conversations, oh my gosh, does this person still care about me? Like, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's hard
1: to become very vulnerable Mm -hmm. and express yourself. And when you don't get the response after, you know, sharing something or, Mm -hmm. you know, putting your feelings out on the table, if you don't get that, whatever you may expect Mm -hmm. in return, it's hard. Yeah. You know, that might shy you away from It can, it can be. Having those hard conversations. Heartbreaking, you know,
0: acknowledging the person, letting them know um, when you did feel seen, when you did feel that that person was there for you, you know, letting them know good, positive things about them, not just bringing up all the negative during this bad conversation. You know, maybe you guys are fighting, I don't know, you haven't been getting enough attention, saying, you know, well, I, I feel like, I need more attention, is what you would say, right? I need more attention. And then if that escalates, and now you guys are just arguing about all the times that you haven't got attention, you can throw something in there like, you know, when you did this, I felt like you were very attentive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that gives Shows them that an example. The appre-
1: appreciation. <clears throat> yeah. And validation. Yeah. Not that that's needed, but I mean, sometimes it is what we need here.
0: It now. is a little... And it gives them a specific, you know, okay, this is what I need to aspire to. Mm -hmm. This is what I need to work towards. How to apologize. That's a very hard conversation to have with people. Apologies. Nobody likes to apologize. (laughs) And nobody really knows how to apologize. It's another thing I've learned. How do people apologize usually? I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's it. Like. People are just like, okay, like, we've just
1: been, you know, trained that, to just take that as an apology. Absolutely, and that phrase usually doesn't do much. No, it
0: usually is not communicating, no? I'm sorry. You know, it's apologies need to be you taking accountability, yes. you stating how you're going to make a change, mm-hmm. and you actually making, making that change. A change. Yeah. And that's usually not how it goes. Instead of, you know, coming at someone like, oh, I'm sorry, you feel that way. Mm -hmm. What the heck is that saying? Like, (laughs) it's definitely not an apology. You're sorry that I feel what I feel. Like,
1: when you're apologizing,
0: it means you're sorry for something you've done personally. Like, you realize I messed up. I hurt someone that I care about. Mm -hmm. I need to go fix this. That's what you're doing. So you saying, I'm sorry, you feel that way. That's, you're not showing any of those things. Not at all. If you say, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Now you're expressing some kind of, yeah. you're, Empathy. you're taking accountability. You're realizing I hurt you and I'm sorry about it. What would be the next step in that, you know, what can I do to not hurt you again? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or, you know, I'll try harder to not do it again. Oh, another one, people say, you know, well, that wasn't my intention, and they think that that's cool, they're just off the hook. Instead of saying, that wasn't my intention, you can say something like, I'll be more mindful of this in the future. Mm-hmm. That's definitely taking accountability versus, that wasn't my intention is just an easy way out. It sure <laughs> <is>. <laughs> The easiest way out. Or, you know, the worst one. You're making a big deal out of nothing. Also known as, bitch, you tripping. And yeah, I'm not gonna lie, sometimes bitches do be tripping. But that's not what we're talking about today. That just brushes you to the side. Like, whatever you are upset about doesn't even matter. It's nothing. And that. Will definitely piss someone off. Trigger. Instead of saying you're making a big deal out of nothing, you can say something like, I'm sorry I hurt you. Can you help me understand why this
1: hurts you? Taking notes for my husband.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm just kidding. The last point I want to make about communication is a lot of people don't know what the purpose of arguing is. We grow up seeing, like we mentioned earlier, all these arguments and it makes us scared of conflict. So, you know, it's, it's hard when we start learning well. Arguments are just discussions and, you know, there's no winner or loser. The point of it is to reach a mutual understanding. And if that doesn't happen, then, you know, everyone in the argument lost. Oh, for sure definitely another thing we should all work on. So emotions, communication, these are all things we should be teaching our children. Some tips to raise mentally healthy kids here are 1. Create space for them to talk and listen to them when they are talking. Mm -hmm. 2. Allow them to have their own boundaries with people. If they don't like someone, respect it by not forcing them to interact with that person. Three, teach them to love their bodies. That's big. Yes. Four, give them the skills to be assertive even if you don't actually practice them yourself. Five, don't teach them to be anxious about the world.
1: Empower them to love in it. I love that last one. Number yes. 5. That one's amazing. Yeah. I think that those are things that I can just continue to focus on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I, I love the is. I love the number 5.
0: Yeah, that one is very cool. Because that's definitely something we pass down mm-hmm. unintentionally is fear, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Um Yeah, we you know, I was taught to be fearful of a lot of things. Well, I'm sure you were, sure. too. Authority, and,
1: like, mm-hmm. just everything. Yep.
0: So we mentioned um, respecting your kids' boundaries, right? I think that's a really important one because, you know, contrary to popular belief that kids are just kids, as we've mentioned several times through this podcast, they're not just kids. They do have intuition. They sense things. They're aware. And they're very aware of who they like and who they dislike. Um, Kids are very good at reading vibes. They know which people make them feel safe. I love that. And they just need direction on how to understand understand people. You know, they need to be protected first and foremost. And they need to be heard. So respect their boundaries when it comes to feeling unsafe around other people. Earlier, we were talking about play, how important it is. Play teaches how to critically think. Play is actually so important that there's different stages of play. Um, Psychologists have studied these different stages, and they've um, mapped out what each stage teaches. We'll just briefly go over that. Um, if you're super interested in that, again, you can just Google those stages of play. There's five <clears throat> known stages. The There's solitary play, parallel play, associative play, cooperative play, and then there's playing games that have rules. So solitary play is just what it sounds like. It's, you know, kids playing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the younger age, like up to two years. Is yeah. usually when they're just playing by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually good for children to do because it teaches them how to self-soothe. That's another very important quality that a lot of children don't get taught. And that's why there's a lot of codependent adults (laughs) walking around (laughs) because they never learned how to self-soothe. Parallel play is from two to around three and a half years, and that's when they're just playing beside children, but not with them. You see this a lot with, like, your younger, yes, you know. Absolutely. Nephews, nieces, when they're young, they're kind of just playing next to each other. And then we have associative play, so that's, you know, three years until, like, four and a half or five, and that's when the children actually start playing with others, you know. They share materials. Um, they may still be kind of having their own little world, but they're, you know, sharing toys or acknowledging that someone else is there playing with them. Cooperative play is where the social play comes in. Now we see people playing in groups. We see children, you know, on the playground. They're all trying to achieve a common goal. This play teaches kids how to socialize, you know? It teaches them to take, some kids have to take certain roles, some kids negotiate they don't want to take that role they want this (laughs) role (laughs) you know it teaches them how to interact yeah and then we have the game with rules that's six years and above um so that's pretty much it's usually cooperative play too but now there's you know winning losing there's all these rules that are set and have to be followed Make sure very, very, that very. you are allowing your kids to play.
1: Kids don't play like they used to play when we were growing mm-hmm. up. Play is so different it nowadays. Is. It's so much easier to throw a tablet or mm-hmm. you know, some other type of technology at your child and write that off as play. It doesn't go as far as taking your kid out and having that physical play and all those mm-hmm. other types of play and that those types of development that come with Yes. Play. And play with
0: them. So now respect. Respect is also something that should be taught. A lot of us grow up in these cultures where you're just told to respect your elders. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're never really told why. And, you know, then you grow up and you think you should respect these people just because you were told so. But some of these people you're respecting might be causing you a lot of harm
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not okay you should never respect someone all. that's causing you harm so definitely you know having that conversation with your children about who deserves respect and why um and modeling how to show respect, respect. for someone yeah. And we have boundaries, right? Boundaries are definitely something that do not get taught in families, at least my experience. Um, The families I knew pretty much had no boundaries, and I don't think that's healthy at all. Some people might think otherwise. But for me, um, I think boundaries make a lot of people feel threatened because, you know, we did grow up with these, your family, there's no boundaries type of ideas. So when people start to create these boundaries, Mm -hmm. it makes us uncomfortable. We're like, wait, why are you creating that boundary? You don't love me anymore. Like what's going on?
1: Personal space is a big thing.
0: Yes. A lot of people fail to understand that boundaries are what allows someone to love themselves and others at the same time. Others not respecting someone's boundaries is what pushes those with boundaries away, ironically. Teach your kids about respecting boundaries. Then there's love. I don't think love is something we think about that often because we kind of, I don't know, at least for us, we just grew up thinking, you know, well, it's your family. You know you love them. Like, that's it. The expectation is that we love you. Yeah, like there was nothing. We never really talked about what love was. But as I mentioned earlier, children are always observing, so Mm -hmm. I know for me, I observed what love was, Mm -hmm. what it looked like in my environment, and I knew that it wasn't what I wanted it to look like for me, but there's a lot of people that observe a love that's not for them, and they just continue that cycle, like, they just accept it, you know, this is, they take it as, this is the love I deserve, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely, yes, having open discussions about love, um, I don't know, like, can you think of anything that you wish would have been discussed about love in your household?
1: Um, I think saying I love you Mm -hmm. growing up, I wish I would have heard more, yeah, I was just supposed to know that Mm -hmm. my parents loved me without them actually saying it as Mm -hmm. often as I wish they did. Yeah, definitely. I was supposed to know that already. That's the Um, same. I had that
0: same experience. It was... I actually never... When I was little, I only heard my dad say I love you when he was drunk. Okay. And it wasn't like every time he was drunk either. It was just occasionally. But it wouldn't be something that came out of him sober. When he was sober. And I think... Like not even exaggerating, the first time I heard him like verbally say it mm-hmm. in a sober mind, mm-hmm. it was really recent, like two, or three years ago. Yeah, and it was weird. I was like, like we were on the phone, and he crazy? was like, "I love you," and yeah. I was like, "What?" Like I just hung up. I didn't even yeah. say it back because
1: I was like, "What the hell?" Like he like, just I said he love loves was so weird. That's so funny. I think I hear I love you more from my parents now as an adult, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. More than I did as a and child. And now we it all the time.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like,
1: Okay, like. every time I talk to my parents it's like okay bye I love you well,
0: that goes to show too I think we all learn as we keep growing because mm-hmm. you know our parents are obviously learning like hey this is something I fucked up I should have said it more and Absolutely. you know I'm going to start expressing it more
1: that's something that we definitely Josh and I try to express not only saying it mm-hmm. but showing yeah. it and showing it in different ways because Words mean a lot, mm-hmm. but the actions have to match. Have to match, mm-hmm. and and they have to feel the love, not just hearing the word, yeah, but actually feeling.
0: Now we're gonna talk more about things that we pass down unintentionally, right? There's a lot of things that parents pass down mm-hmm. to children that just never cross their mind. Um, a lot of them are negative things. Um, You know, parents definitely pass down their fears to children. Um, We can pass down things like abnormalities. Um, We can pass down all types of mental disorders. That's a big one. Yeah. And everyone's favorite word, trauma. Trauma. (laughs) We definitely pass down Mm -hmm. trauma. Fear. Fear usually gets passed down in the form of shaming. When we're shaming someone, it's because we are fearful of becoming that or you know it's something that we're uncomfortable with because fear was instilled in us about that oh nice girls don't do that Mm -hmm. how many times do little girls hear that so many times usually the girl is just doing I've heard a parent say that to a kid for doing a cartwheel in a dress like nice girls (laughs) don't do that what What does that mean like what is this complicated you're sh- now you're shaming this girl she's not gonna want to wear a dress anymore
1: like mom put shorts on her
0: put shorts right on her it's like come on yeah um things like standing up for yourself makes you a troublemaker mm-hmm. you know definitely no we don't want to teach our children not to stand up for themselves um don't be so difficult so sensitive that's a big one and again, shaminess of our emotions, mm-hmm. right? So your everything voice. that we're talking about that we need to teach to our children are the things that we've been shamed for. And here's another one, shaming people for having a shadow. You don't know what a shadow is. It's pretty much in you know the spiritual world, it's seen as the opposite of your joy. Mm-hmm. So your shadow, it represents all the emotions that you don't, enjoy experiencing so you can think of it as if your light is love your shadow is hate yeah um a lot of people get shamed you know for having these negative feelings i mean people who suffer from depression Mm -hmm. you know all the time like they get shamed for that yeah and it's like why are you shaming me for something that i know you have too because everybody has a shadow everybody has these dark feelings these dark
1: experiences that's one thing i will say is i feel like The last year, maybe Mm -hmm. even two, people in the limelight have been more vocal Mm -hmm. of these things that they battle. And I think these people that have those those opportunities to speak, so carefree about it, it allows people that are more in the norm Mm -hmm. to embrace the fact that we all go through Mm -hmm. things. Stop shaming. Mm -hmm. Start normalizing.
0: Everyone feels these things it's we do even if you're saying you don't (laughs) you do (laughs) Um, so lastly trauma trauma is the biggest one we all love talking about our traumas now um, which is a good thing we should we should be talking about our traumas we should be trying to understand other people's traumas I'm all for it Mm -hmm. Um, but I mentioned earlier how important play is and this is just going to pretty much finalize its importance. So play is actually the opposite of trauma. Trauma shuts people down, it makes them fearful, it makes them freeze, it does all kinds of negative things, but play does all the opposite of that. You're enjoying, you're opening up, you're imagining, you're creating, you're engaging different parts of your brain, you're carefree. Play is a trait of all mammals, all mammals play. And it can really, you know, play can be anything. As we grow up, we kind of, I think, shy
1: away from play. We do. Um, You think that you, the word play, mm -hmm. I feel like children play, right. is how, how that word mm-hmm. is
0: perceived. Yeah, it is. But, you know, still, like, our hobbies are pretty much playing. They are. Anything you enjoy to do, like, that can be seen as play. Play has a lot of advantages for, you know, children just growing up. It develops their motor skills. Um, it helps develop their neuromotor. It socializes. Um, after trauma, our conscious and unconscious, just focus on surviving. Play becomes purposeless. It's just fun. It's not something that helps us survive in that moment. Mm -hmm. So we kind of shy away from it, but play more because like I said earlier, it has a lot of benefits. When we're in this trauma mode, we feel dysregulated and scared and when we're playing, it's all the opposite. So encourage your children to play and adults continue with your hobbies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now as an adult, um, do you feel like your relationship with your parents
1: is better? It's, um, it's definitely better. Okay. I, um, I wouldn't necessarily say I had a bad relationship with my parents growing up as a child or coming into a young adult, um, I think that there were things that were definitely missing. I know we touched on communication, Mm -hmm. totally something that I wish we would have had more of in my household. That was something that I, I struggled with as an adult because I don't, I think we, I know that we lack that in my home. Mm -hmm. So communication was definitely a thing. Um, but going back to your question, as an adult and the boundaries that I've set, I think that I have realized that the things that I, the weight that I carried as a child and a young adult, I am now able to identify the healing that I've, the journey that I've embarked on. I have a better understanding with the things I felt as a child. I have been able to revisit certain feelings that I was unsure of, or that I just didn't know if I should feel or shouldn't feel these things, I am able to identify them now, and that is why I have boundaries with my parents. Nice. That is why I have boundaries with, um, even in my household, right. the boundaries that I've created. Um, Do you feel comfortable sharing like some boundaries that you've created with your parents? I would say that, the again, no one's perfect. Mm-hmm. My parents have been together for years, and I think... When they have issues, I put the boundary of letting their issues become their issues and not siding with a parent. That, yeah, because that's a as, great boundary. As a child, my parents didn't make me feel like I had to side with either, mm-hmm. but I, I felt like I had mm-hmm. to. I became, in certain scenarios, I became protective over one parent. Mm-hmm. And then, in other cases, I was protective over the other one. And so, as an adult, I created that boundary to let them be them mm-hmm. and... Not to feel like I am carrying the weight of maybe an argument that they're having or, you know, whatever kind of miscommunication. Yeah. I, I put that boundary up. I, at one point, put a boundary up. My child wasn't around them very much mm-hmm. because I felt like they were unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Their, their relationship was unhealthy at one point, and my parents very much well know this, that they were not the role models mm-hmm. that I wanted in my child's life at mm-hmm. one point. And they they have worked past their struggles individually and together. And I have worked through the struggles that I have with them and, you know, we we have the communication finally now that I wish we would have had okay. when That's I needed them. Do you think it was hard to create that boundary oh, or for did sure? That come? Because really? I feel like the boundaries that I eventually created I was scared to because those aren't people that I thought I had to have those boundaries with Mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to realize that I I did need to put those boundaries for my mental health Mm -hmm. and my just everything everything that I wanted to be as an adult and as a parent those boundaries had to be done and like I said I just didn't expect that do you feel like there are any boundaries you've been avoiding? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think I am still, sometimes I feel still feel like that child scared to, to communicate mm-hmm. with my parents about touchy subjects that, if it were anybody else in my life, I would have no problem mm-hmm. having the conversation with. But again, because those are my parents, right. I am fearful of putting those boundaries up, if that makes any sense. Yeah.
0: Noah, do you want to say something? Bye. Bye? Why don't you tell us what your favorite thing about your mom is? He eats
1: chocolate.
0: Your favorite thing about her is that she eats chocolate? Get you a mom that eats chocolate guys. Yes! <laughs> so now that you, you know, you have your experience from when you were a child with your family, and you now have a new experience with your own family that mm-hmm. you're creating. What qualities would you say that make up a successful relationship?
1: Um, love, above all. Trust and communication. Even with Noah. like Between me and my husband, me and Noah, and then the three of us as a collective. That's where everything kind of stems from.
0: I think it's kind of funny that there are some of those same qualities that we were saying... Um, should be taught by Mm -hmm. parents so that just goes to show that they are important valuable qualities yeah instill them early yes and get you a mom that likes chocolate
1: (laughs) well thank you for inviting me and having me on your podcast I hope that everyone took as much from Angie's knowledge as I did and you know something that I can incorporate in my life as a parent moving forward and just habits that I can continue to work on within myself
0: yay thank you for joining this podcast and we will probably have you on more because I'm excited you know, the idea of that five. makes me excited <laughs> she's also very knowledgeable I'll about you know about makeup and <laughs> art <laughs>
1: You mean expression?